as Sam mentioned, we're continuing in Mark, but just a couple of bits before, just picking up on some of the things which have uh, uh, come through. Talking about churches uh, we grew up in or came to faith in, uh, the Anglican church I grew up in uh, was made redundant, and actually it's now a Ukrainian Catholic church, and still continues to be so. But the interesting thing is they've kept the old uh, name. So for, uh, I grew up in Bedford, uh, which is, I suppose, home counties in the south. But unusually, for somewhere in the south, the uh, church was dedicated to St Cuthbert, who is a good northern saint from Northumbria, used to talk to seals and keep his feet uh, warm, both puffins and things like that. Uh, but also, of course, being Ukrainian Catholic, they've, it's also got a Slavic dedication as well. So it's now something like St. Stanislaus and St. Cuthbert, which I think makes quite a nice uh, mix uh, uh, in that. And the other thing, when we're singing, uh, The Joy of the Lord is My Strength, and it's talking about how our joy is our strength no matter what the conditions are, we ended up with I will praise you Lord now I don't know quite how you interpret that at the end do you think of it as whatever is happening it doesn't really affect me so therefore I will just praise the Lord anyway as in I will praise you Lord or is it I will praise you Lord it's an act of the will. It's a choice. It's not, I'm just going to keep praising you because that's what I always do. It is, even when things don't look good, I will choose to praise you, Lord. And we also, in a later one, was talking about uh, Jesus reigning within my heart. And the thing to remember is that in the New Testament time, the heart was seen as where the will was. We tend to think of the heart as where the emotions are. They had it the other way around. The head was where the emotions were, because that's where they all come from. But the heart, the sort of centre, is where the will is. So it's an act of will. It's where uh, we choose to worship him. Right, getting back to Mark. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 43. And the title uh, in the series we're doing, I was given, was Jesus Teaches. So, Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognised them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When they went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. 
send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is a narrative, it's a story. So what I want to do actually is go through the story and pick out points from it. Because generally in the way the Bible conveys things, it isn't basically giving us theology, although the theology is there. Also, I want to pick out what it's trying to tell us, not spend too much time trying to worry about what it doesn't tell us, which I have a tendency to do sometimes. So, interesting things it doesn't tell us, then we can get them out of the way. <laughs> One, it doesn't tell us what Jesus taught them. Two, it doesn't give us any indication how five loaves and two fish ended up feeding 5,000. What was the intermediate stages? All we know is what they started with and what they finished with. Right, having got those out of the way, let's see what it does tell us. What's the context? If we go back to verses 12 and 13 in chapter 6. So they went out, this is the, Jesus had sent out the 12 apostles. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And then verse 30, the apostles returned and told them Jesus all they'd done. So what they had been doing was telling people to repent, casting out demons and anointing with oil and healing. And so Jesus says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Right, I want you a bit of thought first. Jesus said, come away to a desolate place. What is your image of what a desolate place looks like? Thinking of what you know about Israel and so on. Okay, just think what you think a desolate place looks like and then just file that away for later. Okay. Right, so they went off to try and find a desolate place. Now when I was looking for some pictures and stuff for the children to do while I'm speaking, and looking on you know, the internet as you do, put in uh, feeding 5,000 or shepherd, or, I think it's feeding 5,000. <coughs> and I found one which had a maze in it, you know, where you have to get from one side to the other. So at one side you had Jesus and disciples in a boat and the other side you had a crowd and you had a maze in between. And the instructions were, help Jesus and the disciples find the crowd. And I thought, 
I think that is missing the point on more than one level. So I didn't do that one. But it's easy to try and make things fit. So they go off to this desolate place and what do they find when they get there? The crowd has got there first because they've sussed out what they're doing and they can probably see the boat going along. And just to keep it in perspective, I haven't never been to the Sea of Galilee but one of the uh, things I was reading was saying that the Sea of Galilee is actually smaller than some uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, harbours you get. You know, it's not ma it's large, because you can get storms on it, but not massive, so they could uh, follow. So Jesus then teaches them. Doesn't tell us what he taught them, but it tells us why he taught them. And he taught them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now this got me thinking, as I, some of you will know, I've, he's taken a year off Twitter, but I do follow a shepherd on Twitter, so, and uh, seeing my ancestors used to keep sheep up in the Lake District, uh, you know, I have a slight interest in sheep. I know it's one of my, it's ridiculous, never mind. <laughs> But why do sheep need a shepherd? Because he's saying the sheep without a shepherd. Why do sheep need a shepherd? Sorry? Well, not if they're Lake District sheep, because they're hefted. But, uh, yeah, that's one of the classic things, because they wander. Otherwise, why else do... Sorry? Protect them. Right. They get disease otherwise. Lead them to water. Lead them to water. Yeah. If I use the phrase uh, rewilding, does that mean anything to people? Have you never come across it? How, how many people are familiar with the phrase rewilding? Just to see how wide it's got. About half, I think. Right. So the idea of rewilding is to try and return farmland and hill things to ha how it was wild and there's a, a big farm about 3,000 acres in the South Downs uh, NEP I think it's called where they've tried this trying this out and so you actually just have sheep and pigs and cattle which are just left can roam wherever they want okay you go for ones which don't need too much input but it did get me thinking, why do you need, why do sheep need a shepherd? Because if they're wild, they get disease. So if you're going to leave them wild, they've got to have ones which are pretty disease resistant. You know, you can, they don't live as long. You put animals in a good zoo, and they'll live twice as long as they do in the wild. So all this image of everything wild is nice and rosy actually doesn't really work. Things are actually better when you're protected and when you're looked after. So, Jesus was concerned for them like a shepherd for the sheep. And 
obviously they had, we don't know why they're there, were they because they're wanting to see some more healing miracles or having been told to repent, are they actually there seriously wanting to repent? And it's Jesus teaching them about, you know, what that means when we repent. It's not just a immediate or, yeah, there's a point of repenting, but then there's what are the consequences of it. But did the disciples, did the apostles, get what Jesus was teaching about them needing a shepherd? At one level, I think they did. Because when we look at verse 35, it says, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the countryside and the villages to buy something to eat. And he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy all the bread in Faversham and give it to them to eat? I'm just trying to get it into a... That would be about the perspective. After all, if there's 5,000 men, the assumption is that when they were put into the groups that it was done by the number of men, but they would probably be households or groups, not just men. Otherwise, why does it say men here? But if you're in 50s and 100s, you can get a quick estimate. So, maybe 10,000 people? I don't know if there'd be enough bread in all the shops in Faversham to feed 10,000 with bread. Who knows? Another translation trying to get it into uh, modern context said 10,000 pounds. You know, on the basis that a denarii was a, day, a labourer's day wage and on presumably thinking a day wage is about 50 pounds or something. We're talking round numbers. Okay. In other words, it's a lot. You wouldn't just be able to go to one village and feed everybody. They'd have to spread out. But they're thinking about the needs of the people. You know, they've been there for a day. They probably brought some food with them. Looks like the disciples did because the baskets referred to at the end that they had 12 baskets which they filled were the sort of basket which you took your lunch out into the field with you. And so they probably had brought some food with them which they had eaten during the day but now it's late. And they haven't got a supper with them. So they make the sensible decision. But Jesus then decides to step in. But again, look at what he actually told the disciples. In fact, he says, here it says, how many loaves do you have? Or in another translation, what do you have? Notice Jesus asked them, in dealing with his response, what do you have? And I think that is an important question for us in how we respond to the need around us in terms of spiritual need and in terms of physical need. 
the question is what do we have because Jesus uses what we have same as here Jesus used what they had he could have just generated bread and fish out of nothing and in one sense he did but that's not where he started he started with what they had he wasn't limited to what they had and we must never think that we are limited to what we have but the first question from Jesus is what do you have and then what we need is the faith that he will take what we have and use it beyond what we can imagine right I asked you what was your image of a desolate place because it goes on to say in verse 39 and he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass does your desolate place have green grass in it so what, did, what is it actually telling us if there's green grass Pun? Yeah. Stan and Carol were talking about this beforehand. Ooh. Not in this context. What does green What does green grass imply? Pun? Rain. Exactly. And when does it rain? In Israel, in Judea. In the spring. Because you plant your seed for the rains in the spring so it then grows for you to harvest it in the summer that's one reason in a sense why the people could be here they've got their grain planted there isn't much for the farmers to do because it's not harvest time yet so it's probably telling us that this is taking place in the spring at the time of the Passover so not only is it sort of Jesus is teaching them he's teaching them at a time which is a reminder to them of this is when they were set free from Egypt and as he takes the bread so could my volunteers now go and get the bread and wine and bring it round so as he takes the bread it's a reminder of the bread which was eaten when they fled from Egypt which is what they did at the Passover which is what happened maybe a year later maybe two years later when Jesus was crucified at the Passover so As I've said many times before, for the Jewish people, taking the bread and the wine, praying a blessing over it was something which would happen normally in a meal. So as we come here, let's remember that at one level, 
we give thanks to God for the fact that he provides us with food and drink every day. He supplies what we need for our physical needs. But also remember that he, at that time, when he broke bread and had the wine with his disciples, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So Lord, we thank you that you provide bread. You provide bread to give us the energy we need for our physical lives. But Lord, also, you provide us with spiritual bread. By your Holy Spirit, you fill us anew. Thank you, Lord, that that's what you were doing today. Thank you, Lord, it's something you do for us day by day. So, Lord, we ask now, as we take this bread and drink this wine, that we might be fed anew by your Holy Spirit, as well as being thankful for your death on the cross for us. Amen. And then finally, we're told that after they'd all eaten and were satisfied, they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. What does that tell us? Well, if, as I say, the word and what I read is correct, that the word used here is for a small basket, it tells us that there's a bit left over, but not a lot as opposed to the feeding of the 4,000, where there were seven large baskets. There's a different word used in the Greek, left over. So, God provided, Jesus provided all that was needed, and there was enough. But how do you think the disciples felt about this extra? After all, they had filled their these baskets with food so presume no which nothing's going to waste so presumably that is their lunch for tomorrow how would you feel you know haven't really got the children I was going to see if anybody wanted a crust to eat how would you feel that lunch tomorrow is dried crust and leftover bits of fish 
Interesting, one of the commentators I did read on this said, were the disciples complaining the next day? Why, you know, you're capable of producing, multiplying bread and fish, why can't we have fresh bread and fish today rather than the stale leftovers from yesterday? Just shows how different people's brains work, doesn't it? But look at the Bible. There's a long history of people complaining that what God's provided isn't quite up to scratch. You know, the people in the desert, oh no, not manna again today. You know? And I think that's the question for us as well. Yes, we have the times when God provides miraculously and everything is in abundance and we're amazed. And there are times when, when, when what God provides is sufficient and probably we would prefer something slightly better. But are we happy with what God provides you know, going back to, I will praise you, Lord. Are we happy to praise God in the days when everything seems to be abundant and in the days when things at best are just sort of ticking over? Because that's how life will be. It's not always the immediate excitement. But one thing we do know is that God is faithful and he will provide. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be good shepherds in the roles you've given us, in the communities you've put us in, in the people we work with, people we mix with. Help us, Lord, to bring your goodness to those who need it whether in the church or outside and Lord help us also to continually be thankful to you for all that you provided for us day by day moment by moment Amen